He's actually up there. You're up there, but you're not doing anything. Are you ready for me? Is he waving? I can't see a thing. Well, there you go. That'll make an interesting start to the whole problem. Well, there. Thank you. That's much better. Hello. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> We're so on top of things here. Welcome to Keith. <laughs> Never mind. Welcome to the vineyard. It's all good. We're glad you're here. And uh, we are in a study of the New Testament. And right now we're in the book of Revelation. This is study number 240 of our studies a week at a time. That's really good. We're pressing on. We're, uh, we'll cook through Revelation the rest of this year. And then we're going to start in the book of Genesis next. So, I mean, not next week, but we've got 20-some chapters to run through here. Uh, but then we'll have done the entire New Testament and we'll begin the Old Testament study which will take another 15 years so I'm looking forward to that I've already begun studying actually for the next round so, uh, so there you go it's good stuff um, Revelation interesting book um, fascinating book book with a promise a book a lot of people are interested in and um, in learning more about um, trying to understand. Remember, I, I've given you some thoughts about the process. Some people get stuck in Revelation, trying to figure everything out. You really can't figure everything out. It's a, it's a prophetic book. Um, it's, not, it's just not there's stuff that we can't know yet. We can make some guesses. Um, we can use Scripture to help us define as much as possible. We can look to the book of Daniel um, and um, some of the writings in some of the other minor prophets to give us some ideas, Zechariah, about the future. We can look at the discourse, uh, the Olivet Discord of Jesus in Matthew 24 about some of the events that are coming up. But the reality is we'll never completely know until we experience it and go through it together. And so that's kind of the process we're in and working through when you look about Revelation. What I don't want you to lose sight of is that it's primarily a revelation of Jesus Christ and that how much of it we understand as far as the future holds um, what we're really looking for is what we can learn about how it impacts our life today as believers in Christ and what that means to us. It's a book of hope because it, it uh, talks about the return of Jesus, which as believers we're looking forward to. Um, it, it puts some ideas that we have to deal with. Well, we'll look at some today because the judgment starts today. And, uh, and not today, but, you know, we're going to... <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> The, uh, we'll start talking about the judgments today. The first um, of the judgments, there are three sets of seven judgments in the book of Revelation. There's the seals, then there's the trumpets, and then there's the bowls. Um, all of them taking place over a period of time. The seven um, seals that we're going to begin to look at today, um, we believe, occur over a 21-month period. So, And it's the first 21 months of the last seven years. So depending on where you believe the church is at this point in time, I said to you, I, I hold to a futurist viewpoint, which would mean that, that the church is gone, has been caught up to Jesus, and avoids this period of time. Um, I believe it that way because of the Feast of Israel and how that looks to me. We talked about that. Other people have different interpretations. That's fine. Um, I've studied them, and I understand where they come from and that there's great merit to a lot of them and some very amazing theologians that I respect in other areas who would hold to different viewpoints um, both of a mid-trib 
which would be three and a half years in, or a post-trib, which would mean that the church stays for all seven years. I get it. Um, if, if indeed the church is not caught up in the beginning of this thing, um, at that trumpet that I talked about at the end of the harvest and the feast, then we would, as a church, experience these judgments. Um, but, but God's going to be with us in force. We don't need to be afraid. So we always have that to hang on to. So all of those things are things to weigh in in the process. But now as we move into chapter 6 and 7, um, you know, so the, the first chapter was sort of the introduction of what was happening is revelation that Jesus was giving to his church. Then, then this, in chapters 2 and 3, we saw the seven letters to the churches. Those churches were in existence at the time, but they talk about issues that are going on in the churches. Chapters 4 and 5 really prepare us for what's coming ahead because 4 and 5 were really all about worship. And we spent chapters 4 and 5 around the throne room of God. We saw the Father. We saw Jesus, the Lamb, um, in, engaged in that. And we saw this scroll produced that had seven seals on it. And first they didn't know who was going to open the seals. And then Jesus is there. And he is worthy because he has done what he needed to do. He's come as the Lamb. He's uh, sacrificed, allowed himself to be you know, taken to the cross. He's died there. He's given his life. He's resurrected. He's defeated death. And so he's worthy to open the seals and at this point in time the judgment that has been withheld begins to take place on the earth um, and then so we're going to see like I said you, you see these three different things coming up uh, as you see them some people sort of have a when you begin to see the impact these judgments have in these first 21 months um, one fourth of the earth's population is going to be killed and uh, here, would you take that for me? The group is going wild, and the text won't stop. Uh, One-fourth of the earth's population is going to be um, killed in the judgments that take place. And, um, and so what you have to understand is that this, though, is after a season of thousands of years of mercy and grace of God being offered and extended to everyone and people refusing to repent. And so there, there is a time when um, judgment has to break forth uh, in the process. And Paul talks about this in Romans 2. Let me read these to you. You can write this down and look at them later. Romans 2, 3 through 5. It says, So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Well, that's what's happening now. Paul is prophesying that this will take place. Uh, there will be a time when the, you know, the, the righteous judgment of God will be revealed, and it happens in Revelation 6 with the opening of the first seal. Um, this, this time period that we've been in of God's amazing grace and mercy is changed, and, and now judgment begins. And actually, I think that when you read about these judgments... It, it actually helps me understand how amazing the grace of God is because it's uh, what you're about to see in the judgments that are poured out these three sets of, of judgments seven judgments are the um, they're the, the, the punishment they're the consequence of sin they're what we all have deserved they're, they've just been withheld by God's grace and mercy until this point in time um, when they're going to be released but that's how amazing God's grace is this uh, what's about you're about to see is the effect of sin that we've all been a part of. And so if anything, it should just help you to heighten 
um, your, your appreciation of the grace and mercy of God. But if you're not careful and you get outside of who this is, you might think, well, this seems like a, how can God be like that? How can a loving God do these things? Remember, the loving God has made a way for everyone to have life and has given everyone opportunity to step into grace and mercy. People over thousands of years have said no. And so um, it's their choice. It's not God's. God's made, every, he's made, done everything possible for people to choose, and yet they choose not to. And, you know, people struggle with that. I have people that I talk to sometimes, they talk about, well, how can a good God be like that? How can anyone, you know, not make it? And, and um, the reality is that everybody has the option, and that's just part of the process that we go through, and we, we don't even think about that. I was having a discussion with someone, and say they brought that up, and this person was a professor, and he, he was saying, I have to go because I have to go and grade papers. And I said, next time you talk to him, ask why you grade papers. Why don't you just give everybody an A? Because that was their discussion. Well, well, how can God be like that? I said, well, give everybody an A then. What difference does it make? Everybody gets an A. But, but that, that doesn't even make... I mean, you look at that and you go, well, that's not right. Because that would... Are they listening? Do they get it? Do they care? Do they show up? Do they... You know, there's a... So, so here, you know, in the, in the bigger scheme of things, everyone has an opportunity to repent and to experience the kindness and the love and the amazing mercy of God. Some people choose not to. It's a horrible, sad thing. And we're, we're to live our lives... Um, continually letting people know of, of, of what God has done to reconcile the world to himself. But some people choose not to. And at that point, a point will time, a point will come where this happens in Revelation 6 that, that it's got to be dealt with to bring things back into where, where they need to be. And as believers, it's a, it's a time we look forward to because we know it's setting everything back right. But um, for unbelievers, it will be a very, very difficult time. So, uh, Revelation 6, let me read it to you and then we'll talk about it. Verse 1 through 17. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. And then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. That had to be cool. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. 
And the stars in the sky fell to the earth, as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Blessed be the word of the Lord. So, um, pretty amazing events that take place. So let's dig in, and we'll we'll spend a little time talking about it. Verses one and two. That fourth, that first seal is opened, and I, I want to make sure again. Um, just because this is a wider a rider on the white horse this this first of these four horses and these seals is not Jesus this is the Antichrist um, Jesus will come on a white horse but make sure you're not confused when when Jesus comes he comes with a sword the rider of this white horse comes with a bow the crown on this rider is um, in in the Greek it's the um, it's, it's a victor's crown, but it's the type that was given out in the sort of the Olympic Games at the time. It was a wreath type crown. When when we read about Jesus coming on a white horse, he's wearing the royal diadem, the 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 the, the glorious crown of the king. Um, unfortunately, millions of people will be deceived by the Antichrist. Um, they they're already set up to be deceived, and they will wholeheartedly buy in to the deception of the Antichrist at that point in time but you'll know the difference and here's what you're looking for see in Revelation 19 verses 11 through 16 I'm going to read it to you but this is what we're waiting on this happens after all this mess I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true with justice he judges and makes war his eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heavy heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. For the believer, there'll be no mistaking of who the rider on the true right horse is and who Jesus is. So don't worry. Some people go, how will we know? We'll know. You'll know. Without a doubt, you will know. And so this first, um, this first white horse that comes, that's the Antichrist. And uh, it, this happens in the beginning of the seven-year period um, that that seal is opened and the Antichrist comes and begins his deception. The second rider... The second seal is open. Red horse, indicative, in, indicative of blood. And this rider will take peace from the earth. Whatever peace the earth is experiencing at the time will be done. And as a result, um, the, this, this, uh, whatever keeps people at bay now, to what degree that it does, that will be lifted. And um, there, there will be war and murder in ways that we have never seen previously. Um, and it's a picture of what will take place. And this, this follows. The, the Antichrist comes on the white horse. This, this next rider is, is, uh, it brings this, this war that just begins to overtake the, the world at that time. In verses 5 and 6, the third seal is open. 
A black horse comes, which signifies famine. That's a natural result of the warfare that takes place when you're embroiled in war all over the, the globe. Farming can't take place. Agriculture can't take place. And food becomes scarce, and the price goes spiraling and skyrocketing out of control. And what they're talking about is a, a not enough food for a day's wage, even close, in, in the amounts that they talk about, and the scales are there. They're just not, you can't get what you need because of um, the scarcity of food and the famine that begins to take place. And in verses 7 and 8, a fourth seal is opened. The pale horse is defined as death. Now, it says Hades follows right behind. There may actually be a fifth horse. There might be two horses with that seal. But most people know the four horsemen of the apocalypse and telling them that there might be five kind of messes them up. We're not sure how Hades is tied in, but when you read it, it looks like there could be a, with that seal come death and Hades sort of tied together. Or maybe they're just sharing a horse. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, or one just kind of running along behind. I don't know. But something happens there, and you can look at it. But it could be a fifth horse that comes out. They, they just weren't, uh, you know, over time, not sure how to do with that. And, and so during these four seals, one quarter of the earth's population is killed. In that 21-month period... One-fourth one of the world's population will be killed. That's a lot of people. Whenever that happens, that's a huge amount of people that happens. And that's just, that's the beginning round. That's the, and you know, actually those first four seals, we haven't even gotten into the later rounds. It's just crazy. Um, then in something interesting, verses 9 through 11, that fifth seal is open, and then... Um, it says there's this altar is revealed and underneath are the souls of those who were slain for their witness and testimony for God now holding the futurist view that can't be the church because we already got caught up if it's not the church who is it well here's a theory that if the church is not here and we've already gone to be caught up with Jesus then um, there will be an impact on the people that remain. And even during this seven-year tribulation period, a lot of people are going to come to know Jesus. There's still an opportunity. It's not too late. Just because the tribulation has started, it's not too late. There'll be a time when it's too late, but it's not in the beginning. And, and um, it will impact probably everybody that's been on the fence. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about? Have you met people that are on the fence? They're not really in, but they're like, well, you know, I don't know. I'm just afraid I'm going to miss something if I get in. So there's a, there's a lot of people riding the fence. And, and when something significant happens, like if, if the church were to get caught up, um, a lot of people that were on the fence are going to go, I'm off the fence now. <laughs> um, unfortunately, they come in at a time where there's, um, they're still out, but they're, they're going to miss a significant amount of what we have experienced in the Holy Spirit and taken for granted, um, they won't experience. And they will be hated by the world that's left, and they're going to be martyred left and right. That's going to be worth it because it's still going to be life and truth, but that, that will take place. And because they didn't get caught up when we did, there's this little time period where they're kind of sort of waiting for the rest of things to... Uh, and it's not a bad thing. They're given white robes, and they're, they're hanging out. And they're just... You're going to have to wait a little while longer until everybody has a chance... To, to finish his deal. So, I mean, God's mercy extends even into the judgments at some level because there's still opportunities to repent. But people are so stubborn. Have you ever met anybody that was stubborn? Yeah, <laughs> yeah me too. Um, people are so stubborn that these things will happen 
And you would think there's no way they can miss that and they'll, they'll miss it. They'll... But you know, it's so funny because we, we're on Sunday nights, we're doing a big study of the Old Testament and the people of God would see God do these amazing things. I mean, just off the charts, amazing. And within a very short period of time, they would go, oh, well, we're not even sure if he exists. We need to go worship other gods. I mean, it's, we have a historical basis for these things taking place. So, verses 12 and 13, the sixth seal is opened and an earthquake happens that is unlike anything. It's not just like little, you know, 8.0 on the Richter scale. This thing shakes everything. This earthquake shakes everything on earth and in the heavens. It shakes the entire thing up. It shakes everything and everybody. Even the way that we'll perceive the heavens will change. Because what happened is they could apparently, the way something takes place, they can now see into the heavens and see God on the throne and they don't want to, they'd rather die than have to look at the throne room of God and experience the wrath that takes place. Um, it says, you know, that the heavens are like pearl. The heavens, they're still there because we know they are, but now the way that we perceive things is changed. And the result to the unbeliever is a universal fear of the wrath of God that sends everybody scurrying for a season. And yet, it does not cause most of them to repent. You would think that would be it. That you would think that if everything were shaken to the point that you could see the throne room of God that that would do it, and yet it still won't. What it does is it causes them to be afraid, but not repent. And that vivid picture of everything, I mean, go back and read it, of, of all that, that, that takes place, was never intended to frighten believers. So if it, if it frightens you at all, don't let it. For, for you, as a believer, you, you get to experience the Lamb. You, you know the, the, the Messiah, the Lamb, that, that came and made a way for you. You know the gentle Lamb, Messiah. You, you don't have to be afraid of the lion of the tribe of Judah. You, you get to experience, on this side of things, the lamb of Jesus, who, who willingly gave his life for you and came as a servant and will serve you. You don't need to be afraid of any of these pictures. But, but look who needs to be taking notice. Kings, rulers, generals, and other powerful people who previously showed no fear of God and arrogantly flaunted their unbelief will find out at that moment that they were wrong. And they, they will have a chance to repent, and yet, shockingly, they won't. Some might, but by and large, no. And it's going to get more intense as we press on from here. Um, so so we'll, chapter 7 is more about things that are taking place. That next seal isn't opened until the beginning of chapter 8, and that seventh seal unleashes the trumpet judgments of 7. And so... Um, so, the, so next week, it's, it's sort of just kind of catching us up on what's happening and where we're going and things that are taking place. So we'll dig into that. But that's enough for you to think about this week and uh, fascinating stuff. Always remember perspective and uh, the amazing mercy of grace in God that has been extended. God is not a big meanie. Um, judgment has been forestalled for a long time so people could repent. And they'll still have opportunities up until the very end. And then, then at some point, it's too late. So that's coming but that's good if you're watching by video thank you so much and uh, we're going to shut it off there we'll go from there if you're in that room would you turn the light back on and wave at me so I know that you're actually going to turn that off yeah and there's nobody up there I can see him he's in the youth room I understand he's a youth but okay but I can't do much because I'm sitting on camera and it's going to be hard to edit, so I'll just smile.
But what you can do is you can start getting a prayer request together and I'll pray for you. Uh, 